Bienvenidos to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm, with Nina Serrano, Julieta Kuznir, and Brenda Ieska. Tonight's program begins with a sincere thanks to our listeners for their generous support during our successful fund drive. Well, this evening we include an interview with Cuban diplomat Miguel Fraga about the upcoming Obama visit to Cuba and the normalization of relations. We also have a focus on Chile through two artistic projects, one with Lisa Shalat's review of a new book about an author's investigation of her brother's death during the bloody 1973 coup of the Pinochet regime, and the other a lively musical discussion with a dynamic director and founder of the La Peña Community Chorus, Lichi Fuentes. The chorus will be presenting a special piece composed by local musician Fernando Torres, honoring the lives of the resisting survivors of the Pinochet period. And of course, we mix in the very best in music along the way and end with our calendar of events to help you plan your great week. Listen and enjoy. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, recording in the field at the tail end of a dinner party to honor the visit to the Bay Area of Miguel Fraga, the first secretary of the Cuban Embassy in Washington, D.C. He's been on tour of Seattle, San Francisco, and Sacramento, where he spoke on the California Senate floor. So, welcome, bienvenido, Miguel, to La Raza Chronicles. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. And muchas gracias. Uh, de nada. So, Miguel, how would you describe the relations of our two countries at present when President Obama is planning in just 10 days to go to Cuba? Well, I think it's very important to say that December 17, 2014 is proof that with will and respect we can talk about all our difference. We can start working to have a new new opportunities to have better relations and normal relations between Cuba and United States. When For you refer to December, excuse me, yes. when you defer, refer to December 17th, you're referring to the freedom of the Cuban Five. Of course, that was an important moment in our history, but also was the day that President Obama and President Raul announced the start uh, for the, this new approach trying to reestablish diplomatic relations. And last year, we reestablished the relations in July the 20, 2015, when we reopened our embassy here in Washington, D.C., and United States reopened your embassy in Havana in August 2015. So what do you think we might expect from the Obama visit? How will these relations begin to normalize, or will they begin to normalize? Well, that is a wonderful question. Everybody wants to know what is going to happen. The real issue is that right now we don't have normal relations between Cuba and the United States. The embargo is still in place. 
As Americans, you can go wherever you want, but in order to go to Cuba, you need a license. So some things need to be to change here, and we need Congress to change the laws that right now are the main obstacles for our normal relations. But the idea that the President of the United States can visit Cuba is a good idea. We welcome President Obama. President Obama is going to be treated with all the respect and considerations that his uh, position deserves. And it's the first time since 1928 that a U.S. president visits Cuba. So it's a good opportunity. Uh, he's welcome. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, he's going to see one baseball game. Uh, Mayor Tell us about that. Oh, yes. The Tampa Bay's uh, rates from, from the Major League Baseball are going to be in Cuba. They are going to play with the national Cuban team. And President Obama is going to be there. So... We are ready to talk with respect about all the issues that we need to solve in order to have normal relations between Cuba and the United States. But the real question is what is going to happen after President Obama? Because we need Congress to do real change. So you're referring to our upcoming November election? Exactly. Next year we are going to have a new administration, and this new administration can change all what President Obama has been doing uh, trying to change the policy. And by the way, I want to share this with, with the people that is listening right now. What is happening is what the majority of the American people wants. Every poll shows that the majority of Americans want this better relation with Cuba, wants to travel with Cuba, to Cuba, want, wants to have more trade with Cuba. And this is what the Cuban people also want. So it's good for everybody, you know. So do you think that Cubans feel any anxieties about the visit of the president when he has stated quite often that he's interested in seeing Cuba change? I don't going to say that this is uh, that is not a, a specific feelings about this. You know very well how how Cubans are and uh, this is something that I always explain in my presentations because the real problem is that people here don't have enough information about Cuba. And I say, if you go to Cuba and you say, I am from the United States, you are going to see that no, in Cuba, Cubans don't hate Americans. You are welcome there. So President Obama is going to have the support of all the people in Cuba that, that wants to have normal relations between Cuba and the United States. All the people that for all these years were waiting to this news, new approach between our two countries. So he's going to be welcome. I don't know what changed. Uh, in, C in Cuba, many things are going to change and many things have been changed in the last years. But this is what the Cuban people wants, you know? And what we want is that the future of Cuba is only a decision of the people of Cuba. Well. Recently, I heard that Obama was saying that he wanted to make sure that the American hospitality industry, and by that he meant the big hotels, I think, have a place in Cuba. And so that that was one of the issues that he wanted to bring up, that he wanted a place for American business in Cuba. Well, I, 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 what I know right now is that we have a lot of opportunities between our two countries. Cuba receives 3 million of tourists every year, 1 million come from Canada. And if you try to go right now with the visit of President Obama, with the visit of the Rolling Stones, you're going to see that we don't have enough rooms in Cuba. We don't have enough hotels in Cuba. Probably that is a good opportunity for both countries. 
uh, this is very important because people is afraid. Oh, okay, Cuba is going to change because Americans are going to Cuba. I don't think so. You know, I always say have a little faith on Cuba. Cuba has been uh, there for all these years. Cubans defend uh, the revolution, and I, I believe that there is an opportunity to do business in many sectors, probably in the agricultural sector, probably in the tourism industry, probably, and that is what, you know, opportunities that already are in place. But the real issue is that the embargo is there, you know, and the embargo is the main obstacle to have normal relations. So the problem for ending the embargo is to get the U.S. Congress to approve that. And the Republicans have already stated that they're not about to support Obama in this issue and many others. Well, about this, this is interesting because, for example, the best bill that we have right now in Congress is the S-299, Freedom to Travel to Cuba. And the, the senator that uh, who presents this bill is Senator Jeff Flake, a Republican. And we have also a Republican in the House that presents one bill about freedom to travel to Cuba, the HR-664, uh, is uh, Mark Sanford. And we have also Republicans like Tom Emmers that present bills about uh, freedom to export to Cuba, freedom to have trade with Cuba. So I believe that everybody knows right now that this is good for both sides. It's not only good for Cubans. And about the freedom to travel, it's very interesting because this is not a concession to Cubans. This is about your freedom. Why do you need a license to go to Cuba? Why? That is the question. And you know what? Every time that I have the opportunity, to, uh, every time that I have the opportunity with the, uh, and I talk with many people, I always say, "Do you think that we can have normal relations?" But the real question is, why not? Yes, why not? And that's what we here at Arasa Chronicles think. Why not? It would be wonderful to have normal relations with Cuba. It would be wonderful to have good relations with all the people of the world. So I want to thank you very much. Thank you so much for offering us your time and your knowledge. No, it's my pleasure to be here. It's, uh, it's an honor uh, to meet you and to have this opportunity with you. And I only want to say to all the people that is listening, Cubans wants better relation with the United States. For many years, we have a lot of history together. We have a lot of things that we can share. And this is good also for the world. You know, so for that reason, thank you. Thanks to you for this opportunity. De nada. Mi mamá estudió el ruso allá por los años 70. Dice que aprendió y no recuerda ni Coming up next, we feature a song by the Afro-Puerto Rican group Ife. They just came out with a new video for their song entitled House of Love that takes us on a spiritual and electronic journey with Yoruba roots.
será algo pa' ti, algo pa' mí Divino, ¿verdad que sí? Thank you.
That's the song House of Love by Afro-Puerto Rican group Ife. Coming up next, we'll hear an interview with Lisa Chalat, who speaks with Zita Cabello Barueto, the author of In the Search of Spring, a book chronicling the author's investigation of her brother's death during the bloody 1973 coup of the Pinochet regime. Hello, I'm Lisa Chalat, speaking with Zita Cabello Barueto. Zita is a Chilean exile whose tenacity in discovering the truth about her brother's murder by the Pinochet regime produced a major legal victory for human rights here in the U.S. Zita is a former UC Santa Cruz professor who now lives in Oakland. She's also the author of In Search of Spring, a book that chronicles her search for truth and justice. Back in 1973 in Chile, Zita's brother Winston was a victim of Pinochet's caravan of death. Her family was forced into exile, arriving to the Bay Area in 1974. One month before they fled Chile, Zita learned both the gruesome details of her brother's death and information that would lead her to eventually identify his killers. Zita spent the next three decades tracking down hundreds of witnesses. In 2003, with the help of pro bono lawyers based in California, her family won a landmark civil judgment in a U.S. federal court against the former Chilean officer implicated in Winston's death. The ruling was historic, the first jury verdict for crimes against humanity in U.S. history. But the man implicated in her brother's death continues to live freely in Miami, protected by the U.S. government. Zita, thank you for talking to us today. Can you describe the circumstances of your brother's detention and execution? Thank you for having me. My brother Winston was uh, a young economist. He was 28 years old. And President Allende appointed him director of economic planning for the northern region in Chile. The day after the coup on September 12, my brother was detained by the local commander without charges against him. I visited him regularly and on my last visit to him, he told me that he will be released in a couple of days. But my brother, three days later, was killed. I read in the local newspaper that 13 political prisoners has been killed in escape attempt. One of them was my brother. We never received his body. His remains were found in a mass grave in 1990, along with the remains of the other 12 victims. Zita, you spent decades looking for the truth. Along the way, you uncovered the workings of one of Chile's most notorious death squads and the identity of one of its bloodiest killers. Describe the caravan of death. The caravan of death was a Chilean army death squad headed by General Sergio Arellano Stark that traveled by helicopter from the south of Chile to the north of Chile, stopping in at least 15 cities along the way, killing political prisoners. Nearly 100 people across the country were killed over a period of three weeks. The man who killed my brother was part of this death squad. That man is former military officer Armando Fernandez Larios, who is now living freely in Miami. Who is he and what was his role? I first heard his name a year after Winston's death. A co-worker of my brother asked me, 
Do you know how Winston died? A lieutenant by name of Armando Fernandez Larios killed him. She told me that Fernandez Larios had confessed his crime to a psychiatrist friend of hers. Fernandez Larios told the psychiatrist that they pushed the prisoners out of the truck and forced them to run in the desert to shoot them down, but that my brother refused to get off the truck. I won't run, my brother told Fernandez. Nobody will ever accuse me of trying to escape. Fernandez Larios was so enraged by my brother's defiance that he grabbed his corvo, a dagger used by the Chilean army, and slashed my brothers to death. I never forgot that name. And 20 years later, in 1995, I heard that name again. A friend told me that Fernandez Larios had participated in the 1976 car bombing in Washington, D.C. that killed Chilean diplomat Orlando Letelier and his assistant Ronnie Moffat. In 1987, in exchange for information about this murder, Fernandez Larios made a plea agreement with the U.S. government. He was offered to enter the witness protection program, but he decided to live openly in Florida since then. We're speaking with Zita Cabello Barrueto, author of the book In Search of Spring, a sister's quest to unearth the truth about her brother's assassination. When you discovered that Fernandez Larios was living in the U.S., you were able to bring a lawsuit against him. Describe that procedure, the court ruling, and its significance. When I learned he was living in the U.S., I did absolutely nothing. It was Pinochet's arrest in London some 10 years later, in 1998, that opened up the possibility of bringing him to justice for my brother's death. Under U.S. law, we could not pursue criminal action against him, but civil action. So in 1999, with the help of a team of pro bono lawyers here, we filed a civil lawsuit against Fernandez Larios in the U.S. District Court in Florida for summary execution, torture, cruel and inhuman treatment of Winston and crimes against humanity. And in 2003, we won a landmark ruling. A Miami jury found Fernandez Larios responsible for all the charges against him. The trial produced the first jury verdict in the United States for crimes against humanity, and the first time any Pinochet operative had been tried here for their role in human rights abuses committed in Chile. Zita, you traveled back to Chile many times to locate and interview witnesses, including former military officers. Your team of U.S. lawyers took depositions in a Santiago hotel. Can you explain that process? To prove our case in court, we needed witnesses. We needed evidences. So I traveled 10 times to Chile searching for witnesses. I talked with more than 100 people, among them military officers, former political prisoners, the grave digger who buried the victims, the pathologists who studied Winston Bones, and most of them willingly shared their experience with me, but not all of them agreed to formally testify. Some refused, like Fulvia, who was a college student back in 1973. She'd been in jail and badly beaten by Fernandez Larios 
while in custody. She joined a convent after her release, and when I asked her to testify in our lawsuit, her response was typical of many people in Chile who seek to forget the past. Let me read what I wrote in my book about our meeting. I won't testify, said Fulvia. What are you doing is a waste of time. It takes time for justice to arrive, I said. Pinochet's arrest in London opened up new opportunities to pursue justice. Don't you see? She responded. Pinochet is back. There is no justice. I don't feel hatred toward Fernandez, nor toward anyone. History will judge them. That's not my role. Don't you feel a moral obligation to tell the truth? I asked her. Aren't you betraying the very virtues your church lays claim to? Justice, truth. Truth doesn't serve any purpose, she said. It is very easy for you to come down from the United States and do what you are doing. You don't know what it is to live under a dictatorship. You didn't suffer what we suffered. You left the country. I didn't. There was nothing more to say. I left the convent and slowly walked back to the plaza in the pouring rain. Soaked and shivering, I sat on a bench and began to cry. Zita, that must have been so heartbreaking. But you were able to convince 12 witnesses, including seven military officers, to give sworn testimonies. One of your lawyers and one of Fernando Larios's lawyers traveled to Chile to interrogate the witnesses. You set up a mini courtroom in a Santiago hotel with a U.S. court reporter, an interpreter, and a cameraman to videotape the depositions. And you presented excerpts from those testimonies to the court in Florida. That must have been very compelling. It was a challenging case for everybody involved. It was a crime that occurred 25 years earlier and in a distant country. So there was a lot of learning and adjustment in the process. Let me share with you this passage from the book. Our lawyer, Leo Cunningham, delivered the final arguments, and for me, it was the most memorable part of all. What touched me most during the closing arguments was the fact that somehow Leo actually managed to bring Winston the real, living, breathing person that he had been vividly into the courtroom. At the peak of our team's tremendous effort, right there in court, I saw my brother's spirit in a captivating moment of completion and history. I will cherish that moment for the rest of my life. That was Zita Cabello Barrueto, reading from her book In Search of Spring. Why hasn't Fernandez Larios been arrested or extradited to Chile? In a civil lawsuit like ours, the punishment is no jail sentence. Fernandez Larios supposedly has to pay a certain amount of money to the family. In 2006, Chile asked for his extradition, but the United States has not responded. Just a few months ago, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry gave Chilean President Michelle Bachelet newly declassified documents of the FBI's interrogation of Fernandez Larios in connection with the murder of Orlando Letelier. Those documents conclude that Fernandez Larios, and here I quote, is not in our judgment 
a willing participant in terrorism as we had previously assumed him to be, end quote. I'm working now with a task force of human rights lawyers, and we are asking the State Department to recognize that Fernandez Lario was in fact a very willing participant in terrorist attack. His active involvement in several criminal actions are well documented in Chile and the U.S. We've written a letter to the State Department saying that instead of protecting a terrorist, they should extradite him to Chile so he can face charges there. Zita, what did you learn from this process? What meaning does it hold for us today? The outcome of our lawsuit established a historical precedent. The U.S. is no longer a safe haven for human rights violators. Following our lawsuit, several military officers living in the U.S., some from Central America, have been held accountable for their crimes in U.S. courts. On a more personal level, this was a transformative journey for me. It was not about healing or closure. It was about truth. We established that my brother stood his ground, that he didn't run. Thanks to these efforts, my brother will be remembered in truth and with dignity. I'd like to share this excerpt from my book describing the last time I saw my brother. We just saw instantly that I had been crying. He squatted down in front of me, took my hands in his, and looked into my eyes and said, Don't worry, Sita. We are going to be just fine. Then he added, Sita, I want to ask you a favor. I want you to always remember that they can cut all the flowers, but they can't prevent the spring from returning. Podrán cortar todas las flores, pero no impedirán que la primavera regrese. The music you just heard is from Caravana, a work by Chilean composer Sebastian Erazuris, written in homage to another victim of the Caravan of Death, youth orchestra leader Jorge Peña Hen. Before that, we heard from Cira Cabello Barueto, reading from her book In Search of Spring. She was interviewed by Lizek Shalat earlier this year. In 2008, Chilean court sentenced the commander of the Caravan of Death, General Sergio Arellano Stark, and six military officers to prison in Chile for their role in the death squad killings. By then, Arellano was allegedly suffering from Alzheimer's, and he was spared jail time. He died last Wednesday, March 9th, in a Santiago nursing home at the age of 94. Meanwhile, another high-profile Chilean human rights case is being heard in a U.S. court. Former Chilean Army officer Pedro Pablo Barrientos has been charged with the torture and extrajudicial killing of iconic folk singer Victor Jara. The trial is scheduled to take place this summer in Florida. To purchase Sita's book, In Search of Spring, contact your local bookseller or write to this email, zita, Z-I-T-A, at gabellofoundation.org or go to In Search of Spring, 
www.thepeacefulmoms.com. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and today we're very lucky to have in our very own studios Lichi Fuentes. Lichi Fuentes is known all over the Bay Area and the world for her singing, for her leading of this wonderful chorus. She is someone who has dedicated her life to music, but not just music, music that lifts up social change, music that lifts up and pushes for a better world. Lichi, muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. A ustedes, gracias por invitarme y y tener el placer de conversar y vernos después de tanto tiempo. Yes, it's been way too long, Lichi. So, Lichi, this is a really exciting moment. There are a lot of people listening right now that have been huge fans of La Peña for decades and decades, and a lot of people who are looking forward to an event, a musical tribute that's happening on March 19th. There is going to be an opportunity for people to come together and heal by listening to wonderful music, and there's going to be a special guest. So Carmen Gloria Quintana is coming to La Peña. So Lichi, Tell us a little bit about your musical history. You've been committed to música trova, música to tell the stories of those who've been marginalized, persecuted. Tell us about your musical history. Well, I came to the United States in 1980 and I went straight to La Peña. And But I, I was a, a student of music in, in Chile. I lived through the, the coup in Chile. I was in Santiago when the the military coup happened. So between 1973 and 1980, I, you know, I was part of the people who lived under the dictatorship. So in 1980, when I came here, I discovered La Peña Cultural Center, and there was a Chilean group uh, doing solidarity with the struggle in Chile. The name of the group was Grupo Raíz, it was formed by five Chileans and one North American. For five years, we toured and we worked exclusively to raise consciousness uh, uh, about what uh, Chile was going through. And then, then other struggles came, Nicaragua, El Salvador. So we formed a lot of uh, liaison with other countries and other artists. So it was a very interesting fulfilling job, even though it was so painful because all those countries were going through a really hard time. I didn't have the intention of staying here, but I stayed working with Raiz and, and later on with La Peña Cultural Center. Years later, I became uh, the, the director of the chorus of La Peña, and I have been the director of the chorus for about 22 years so I've done a little bit of everything. I've done salsa music, uh, Afro-Cuban music with group uh, Conjunto Céspedes, Jesus Diaz. I had my own quartet, women's quartet uh, called Altasor. So this is the perfect area to learn music from all over the world. And I've been curious and lucky enough to run into wonderful musicians who have taught me so much. That's the voice of Lichi Fuentes. She is a longtime musician. She is someone who has given so much to the Bay Area music scene. And she's also directs the La Peña Chorus. 
So I know that there's an important event happening at La Peña on March 19th. Carmen Gloria Quintana is coming. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about her? Music has really been a healing piece of La Peña in terms of using culture to heal some of our very, very intense wounds that have come with so much surviving that uh, our people have had to do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Carmen Gloria Quintana? Carmen Gloria Quintana was a young 18-year-old student, which she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was uh, participating in a protest in the streets of Santiago. The youth was protesting against the dictatorship, and Carmen Gloria was one of those protesters. And there was another young man, 19-year-old Rodrigo Rojas de Negri, and both of them were picked up by the army who went on the streets to repress the the protesters. And Carmen Gloria and Rodrigo were picked up. They were beaten. They poured gasoline on them, and they set them on fire in front of the rest of the protesters on the streets to send a message to the protesters. It was a brutal act. It was murder. Rodrigo Rojas and Carmen Gloria were dumped outside of Santiago. They thought that they were dead, but they survived, and they managed to get to the highway and ask for help. So they made it to the hospital, but Rodrigo Rojas, who was visiting Chile because he was actually living in exile with his mother in Washington, D.C., he died four days later, and Carmen Gloria survived, but her body was burned. 65% of her body was burned, and it was a horrible act of violence. And Carmen Gloria was taken out of the country, and she's been living in Canada, where she had received multiple surgeries, trying to repair her body. But she's an incredible, courageous woman who became a psychologist and an active fighter for the human rights and spreading the word about the violence that went on in Chile. So that happened in 1986. In 1987, Fernando Torres, a Chilean musician here in the Bay Area, poet, and Leonardo Cereceda, another Chilean composer, wrote this cantata. It's called La Vida Vence a la Muerte, Life Defeat Death, and is dedicated to Carmen Gloria Quintana and Rodrigo Rojas. We did it back in 1987 with a small group at La Peña, and since then, this piece was never done again, and recently, we rescued the piece with the chorus and we amplified the arrangement to make it fit a four-part harmony. And it coincided that this past July 2015, one of the soldiers that participated in that heinous act broke down. He revealed the, the people responsible 
for this act, and they were brought to justice just this past year after 29 years of no justice for the people who committed this crime. So we invited Carmen Gloria to come. She has never heard this piece. It's never been performed anywhere else. And she will be here to give us the opportunity to honor her, recognize her, and thank her for her courage. That's the voice of Lichi Fuentes. She has been a longtime music leader here in the Bay Area. She also directs the La Peña Chorus that she's directed for over 20 years. So as you mentioned, the case of Carmen Gloria Quintana is one of the most notorious human rights abuses committed by the Pinochet regime. People have really used her experience as a call to push for greater human rights and to unite around the injustices they've saw in Chile and injustices around the world. La Peña's community course is really diverse. It's made up from people, not just Chileans, as people mm-hmm. may think, no. it's people from all over, an opportunity to join together, build community, find joy, and also heal. Unfortunately, Chile's story is not unique. Mm -hmm. The oppression and repression and the violence that occurred in Chile is something that we've seen across the Americas and across the world with imperialism and colonialism and these really horrible regimes we've seen. Tell us a little bit about the power of music and the role of the chorus of bringing people together Mm -hmm. and serving as an opportunity for healing. Yeah. Well, the idea of the chorus started with La Peña. It was La Peña was a group of volunteers, and the volunteers would charge at the door, would clean up, were sing, and it was a group of volunteers, and they started singing together. And shortly after, they, one of the volunteers was a musician, and it started giving more a form of a chorus to this group of people. Three directors before me, Peter Adler, uh, John Mas, our own Chilean Rafael Manriquez, he was the director before me. And then I have been the director for 20 years. And as you say, you know, this is a group of community members. And so there are people from different places different professions and the mission of the chorus is to through the singing together we bring peace and uh, unity and you know we fight for a social change so the chorus goes to you know community centers jails we've been singing for for immigration we we sing for peace and we've gone around the world doing the same. We've been in Cuba, we've been in Mexico, and Peru, Uruguay, Argentina, and bringing the the message of the people from the Bay Area. There is no one country, there's many countries, and it's one voice that does sing together for change. So, Lichi, why don't we start off? Let's hear some of the music. So you are going to share with us a track off a CD that you are on with an all-women group. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, La Vida Vence la Muerte, La Cantata, that we're going to perform on March 19th, was done, like I said, by a, a small group of students at La Peña in ni- 1987. So... 
Altasor, the women's quartet that recorded this piece, was part of that group of students. So we're going to play the final piece of this cantata. It's called La Vida Vence a la Muerte, like the title of the whole piece. And is a version by this women's quartet, Altasor. <laughs> Lichi, why don't you tell folks what they just heard? You just heard the final song for the cantata La Vida Vence a la Muerte, recorded by the women's quartet Altasor. The cantata was performed in 1987, a little less than a year after the events that happened in Chile. So I think you're going to share with us something from the La Peña Chorus. So yes. there are so many great options. I mean, people really have to come march 19th on Saturday and enjoy and see it live because there's so much energy and joy with the chorus. But what are you going to preview for us? Well, that night, the show is going to have two segments. The first part is going to be music from different composers uh, like Violeta Parra, Victor Jara, uh, Patricio Mans, all Chilean music, Rafael Manriquez, of course. In the second part, we're going to present La Cantata. Out of 
The first part I chose to share tonight, a piece by Victor Jara called Te Recuerdo Amanda, which is one of the most beautiful songs that Victor Jara wrote. And it's also going to be sang that night at the concert. So, Lichi, people are probably really excited about this event. Why don't you tell them about what's happening at La Peña on the 19th? So, La Peña Cultural Center is located in 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. And the event is March 19 at 8 p.m. You can go to the website of La Peña. It's lapeña.org. You can buy tickets online, or you can buy tickets at the day of the event. And how can people connect to the coro? Maybe there are people listening that say, well, my dream is always to be part of a chorus, and this seems like a beautiful opportunity. What can they do? We rehearse on Tuesday nights from 8 to 10. People are welcome to come and listen to the chorus and hear what we do, if you like what you hear, you can join us. And uh, we have a very simple process to become a member. Right now, we're uh, about 35 to 40 members. So it's a, it's a large chorus. And we have exciting things happening. We're preparing to go to a, a new trip in 2017. So we're working and preparing for that. It's an unusual chorus because it uses instruments from Latin America. Our repertoire is, I would say, 80, 85% is repertoire from Latin America. You don't require to speak Spanish, but we sing in, in Spanish a lot. So if you want to practice your, your Spanish, there you go by singing songs. So it's a, an amazing group of 
people, the members of the chorus, is an amazing group of this wonderful community of conscientious people. That's the voice of Lichi Fuentes. Lichi is just a wonderful person, spirit, teacher, and musician. She is still my favorite salsa singer. (laughs) Um, My first time dancing salsa out at clubs far too young, where I was with um, Lichi, and I really, it's such an honor to have you here with all your musical talent here at our studio, and we really hope that people check out this beautiful event. Muchísimas gracias, Lichi, por estar con nosotros. Gracias a ustedes por tenerme aquí. to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and this is the calendar of Bay Area events and happenings for the week of March 15th through the 22nd. For Wednesday, March 16th, Mexican songstress and Latin Grammy winner Natalia Laforcade will be joined by Bay Area's own Raw G at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco, 1300 Fannis Avenue. Show starts at 8 p.m. For Saturday, March 19th, and Sunday, March 20th, the Community Music Center presents the premiere of El Son de la Misión, a new musical suite composed by multi-instrumentalist John Calloway, and a script from renowned actor and playwright Carlos Barron. Drawing on 50 years of changing musical styles, El Son de la Misión examines the history of the Mission District through music. The work presents new songs that illuminate, evoke, and reflect pivotal social and artistic movements in the neighborhood's recent history, starting in the 1960s to the present, featuring musicians from all over the Bay Area. This is at the Brava Theater in San Francisco, 2781 24th Street. Brava.org for more information. On Saturday, March 19th, flamenco superstar Buica will be showcasing her unique blend of jazz, flamenco, blues, and soul on the UC Berkeley campus. The show starts at 8 p.m. calperformances.org. For Sunday, March 20th, join Acción Latina and Luna's Press Books for a mixed poetry series, Poesia Revuelta. Poets and musicians from different cultures and backgrounds will read, recite, lullaby, and howl their poetry and music to celebrate the power of written word. This is at 2958 24th Street in San Francisco. Starts at 4 p.m. AccionLatina.org. For Monday, March 21st, the Concert for Juarez, a benefit to support striking maquiladora workers in La Ciudad de Juarez, features Veronica Rodriguez, a maquiladora worker from Juarez, and Elvia Viescas, a community activist. Performers include Diana Gameros, Francisco Herrera, and Elizabeth, Nancy, and Mario Esteva. It starts at 7 p.m. It's at 2940 16th Street in San Francisco. For more information, contact the Living Wage Coalition, livingwage-cf.org. This has been a calendar of events, musica y arte for the San Francisco Bay Area. To add your event to our list, send us an email at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. And for more information on these events or our show, visit us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Chronicles. Feliz noches!
You've been listening to Crónicas de la Raza, La Raza Chronicles on KPFA 94.1 FM, community-powered radio. If you want to hear this program again or share it with others, go to the KPFA website or check us out on SoundCloud. Just search for La Raza Chronicles. And of course, make sure to like us on Facebook for regular updates on news, arts, and culture desde el mundo latino. We'd also love to hear from our listeners. To share your feedback or ideas for upcoming shows, you can email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for more of La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.